Welcome to the Mind Vine Podcast, where we challenge the stigma associated with mental illness through conversations about a variety of issues impacting mental health. Here we bring you news, views, and interviews that intrigue, educate, and celebrate recovery. Leading us on this journey are the hosts of the Mind Vine Podcast, Daryl Mathers and Chris Bovey. So welcome to the Mind Vine Podcast. My name is Daryl Mathers, and I'm without my co-host today. Uh, Chris Bovey is on assignment, so it's just me, and um, we're going to talk a few different things. But before we get into kind of the, the meat of the this week's episode or this episode, I want to talk about our staff who nine months, 10 months in, uh, continue to deliver quality mental health care. So shout out to all our all our nurses and allied health and, and men and everybody that helps make our hospital run. So thank you for all the work that they do. And it's an interesting time here in Ontario. Uh, we're in the second version of, I guess, the second version lockdown. Uh, seems to be strengthening every couple of weeks. And we're all adjusting. And, and one of the ways that uh, we are adjusting is to try and take care of our physical and mental health. And one of the things we're going to talk about today, as always, is, is mental health. But specifically with um, an awareness week coming up around uh, eating disorders. And so we're going to talk with a global news personality who's done a bunch of different things in a bunch of different communities. <laughs> uh, you've been with Global for a while. You're, you do a lot of um, work on the side in terms of being a life coach and uh, talking about your story. So first, I'd like to welcome Carla Basaki to the podcast. Thank welcome, you. Carla. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for giving me a chance to to share my story so that people know that um, they're not suffering alone, right? And that this is something that is more, is happening more and more and people just don't realize it. Yeah. I mean, you you mentioned like suffering alone. I think regardless of where your mental health is, um, that's what we're all doing right now. (laughs) Suffering alone, whether it's alone in our family units or uh, with our partners or, or if we're, you know, we live alone, like, we are all kind of uh, surviving through this. What's getting you through the day today in this kind of unique world? You can't see him right now because he's at the bottom of, he's underneath the table at my feet, but it's my dog. Believe it or not, if I didn't have a dog, because I live by myself and the building that I'm in is very COVID strict. So we're not allowed visitors. There's one person per elevator. Um, you can't walk through the hallways. It's it's like a shut down building. Um, so I don't see anybody. Even when I go into work, it's very solitary. I basically go in a side door. Um, I go into my office and I go into a studio. So I have no interaction with anybody, even when I go into global. And the rest of the time I'm at home. I do Zoom calls with girlfriends and we set up walks where we social distance. And I have two girlfriends that thank goodness for them as well. Um, I've been walking with once a week, which has mentally saved me. But I have to say, it's been my dog, Max, that gets me going in the morning. I got to get outside and walk him. We go for runs. We go on the ravine. We go on adventures. He jumps on my bed. He can't wait to see me. It's dog love, right? If it wasn't for him, I would be, I would be going stir crazy. So I owe my health right now to Max. (laughs) It's one of the things that we have at Ontario Shores pre-pandemic, we haven't been able to find a safe way to do it in this 
environment is pet therapy program right and, uh, where we have volunteer dogs in the community come and visit patients and we actually have a in our geriatric geriatric program they have robotic pets because they see people who have advanced dementia they you know they're pet lovers and they're you know in their younger years and the reaction that they um they still get uh, from just being around, you know, an animal, it's mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty remarkable what what pets can do. You know, I see it all the time, just walking down the street. Somebody who doesn't look very happy, and they see Max and his little "I love mommy" sweater or his little boots that he hates, and it, it puts a smile on their face. Mm. Um, so I'm a huge believer in pet therapy and having animals around and bringing animals to the workplace because they just relax everybody and yeah they just make you feel happy how can you not smile when you see a dog right no it's true. how can you not be happy yeah you i mean we see it all the time and uh, i mean they're a great companion for especially people in unique circumstances at this you know in this juncture of I, yeah um you mentioned like you know kind of your work environment and how you know you know when you go into work the protocols and and different things like that. A lot of us are going into work, but in the media, it's a little interesting because in the first little, you know, I'd say the first three months, four months of the pandemic, when we were figuring things out, everything was done uh, via Zoom or other, um, you know, kind of in-person technologies. And there was no hairdressing. There was no, um, you know, stylist. Like it was, it was really stripped down. So what, like for somebody who's been in, you know, in at Global, I think you're in almost 20 years that you've been at Global and in some capacity, what was it like in that time where everything, you know, at work is, is gone? Um, It was really scary because work was always, um, I love my job and I'm really thankful that I still do my job. And so going to work, no matter what was going on in my personal life, I would walk in the studio and everything would just melt away. It was, it was wonderful. And um, two people that I work with had just come back from a trip. This is when it started back last in February and they had come into our office and they were chatting. And then we, got called in a week later saying, uh, you have to go home. They've tested positive for COVID. And at this time, you have to remember, we didn't know what COVID was. I remember driving home, being sent home um, in the middle of my shift, crying down the Don Valley Parkway, not knowing what was COVID, what's going to happen. I have to stay home. The government's going to call me. Um, I can't leave my house for two weeks. Uh, it was really scary back then because it was all so new and we didn't know anything. Um, and then from the from that two weeks, it was another two weeks that I couldn't leave. So I was basically at home. Uh, myself and Ross actually were both at our own homes in lockdown for a month, two weeks for each person um, that we couldn't leave. So I had people dropping groceries off at my front door. And thankfully, my friends at the time were great. They would you know, pack up whatever I needed and drop it off at the front door. And I would open the door once they left and got it. But it was really scary. And then, of course, um, the jobs that that were lost because of it. You know, we lost a whole sports, sports department. We lost entertainment. We lost our makeup department, um, wardrobe. So we were all left 
on our own at home, once we started back at work, we were doing like this, we were doing the weather and the news from, from home and trying to figure out how to use a Digero app, which is what we were using. Uh, and we still use today. So half of my shift is still done at home and the other half is done at the, at the studio. Um, but yeah, Daryl, it was really, really scary because we didn't know what was going on. But then we adapt, right? We're humans. We adapt to change. Um, you make the best of it. And that's what we did. And my work has been terrific. They're super supportive with everybody. They've got lots of health initiatives and groups. And uh, if you need to talk to anybody or anything like that, chorus has been really, really supportive of their employees during this time. So it's been really great to have. As we start to look forward to vaccination, you know, which yeah. is currently underway in Canada, um, you know, obviously it's, you know, maybe months away before things start to get back to a semblance of normalcy. Um, but as we like look forward to like what the world could be again and what you've been through on the media side, are, you know, like there's been some, like you touched on, some really creative things done in the last nine, 10 months to keep delivering the news, keep delivering the weather, keep, you know, keep giving people content, whether it's enter tonight, entertainment tonight being done in people's living rooms or whatever the case may be. Some really interesting things have been done. Do you see us taking some of the th these things, these creative things that we've done or changes we've made and implementing them or keeping them as we kind of get back into the whatever our new normal is? Absolutely, because people are realizing that, and this is not just for media. I think it's for, you know, if you ever walk downtown Toronto in the financial district at 12 o'clock on a weekday, now it's like a ghost town. There's nobody around. And I used to walk down there, down King Street, and it was packed, right? It was so crazy. But there's nobody that's going into those bank buildings downtown. That whole financial area is dead. Everybody's working from home. So not just for media, but I think so many employers are realizing that their employees don't have to leave the house and they can actually work at home. Um, and we can be really creative. And, you know, Anthony Farnell and Ross and myself, you know, we were doing weather reports in the backyard. Um, Anthony was doing them on his roof. He was doing it in the front. I know other um, news stations that were doing the same thing. Their morning hosts were outside on their front porch reporting the new, reporting as a co-host as the other host was at their home. So it's really amazing what we can do. And I think you're, we're going to see more of that moving forward. I don't think that we're, we'll ever get back to people being at work all the time. And it's, it's fun. I mean, I miss the social interaction of being around my cohorts at work, you know, talking to producers and news directors and, and, and other people that I work with, because most people right now work remotely, even our producers and directors, it's a minimal, minimal staff at that studio. Um, everybody's still at home and it's amazing how producers can work from home and produce news for across Canada. It's, it's incredible it's still to me how they can do it. Just switching from one aspect of your life to another, um, before we get into kind of your personal uh, connection to mental health um, in a more broad sense, you have a, a business side where you, um, you know, if I'm using the wrong term, you know, feel free to correct me, but you serve as a, a life coach mm -hmm. um, is how I would describe it. Mm -hmm. um, so can you talk a little bit about what you do and how, you know, that ties into your 
you know, kind of the bigger picture of your connection to mental health? Sure. So I'm a health and life coach. I've actually been coaching for a long time, but really the last year and a half, two years, I really started focusing on it. I think when COVID really started and people were hunkered down at home and getting really depressed and suicide rates were up and people were gaining weight and they were really unhappy. That's when I really amped up my business because I wanted to help people. Um, But, you know, I've been into health and fitness for a long time because of my own struggles. So I, I really, I, I'm, there's two things that I do. So I mentor young girls because I didn't have a mentor when I was growing up. So I really take under my wing young girls. When I say young, I'm talking, they're just starting their careers. They don't know what they want to do yet. They're dabbing their foot in this and that, and they have no idea how to get to their goal or what their goal is. So I help them. I don't charge them. I talk with them once a week for 30 minutes and it gives me great, um, pleasure knowing that I'm making a difference in a young girl's life, that she can realize that she can do anything she wants. The other side is with older women, 40 to even my oldest client is 63. um, Just make changes and to make healthy changes in their day-to-day life, uh, to make some goals, to Um, not be so hard on themselves, to trust themselves, to not listen to social media and all that garbage that's out there that makes our mind think of things that aren't really true, right? That's Max. Do you hear him? (laughs) He's playing with his toy. He wants some attention. A few minutes earlier, he would have been right with you. (laughs) <laughs> so my, I, I really got into this because I struggled. Um, weight has been an issue my entire life. I'm talking since I was 13. Um, and the sad part is that it all happened because my mother decided to put us into uh, modeling and acting so we could make some extra money so we could have it as we got older. I never got any jobs. My brother and sister were like the Hansel and Gretel, Gretel kids, like the two perfect blonde, blue eyes, really cute. They did, uh, they did everything. I never got anything because I was kind of chunky and I was the brunette and, you know, so I never got any work. One day the talent agent called my mom up and said, you know, Carla's never going to get a job. She needs to lose some weight. You, that girl's got to lose weight. I was 13. I wasn't even 14 years old yet. My mother told me that I needed to lose weight. And so that just started a spiral of, I wasn't good enough. I wasn't pretty enough. I needed to be skinny. Now I wasn't, I wasn't an obese child. I was 128, maybe 130 pounds at five, two. So, I mean, at 13, you know, just there's, there was nothing wrong with me, but I was on diet after diet. I, I, my mother put me on Weight Watchers and then I used to go to school with, uh, shredded red cabbage and so that just started me down this really dangerous path of not eating I became anorexic so my mom was then worried that I was going to get sick because I wasn't eating then I realized I could eat drink a lot of water and then make myself sick so I could still eat but get rid of the food then I went through a phase where um, as I got older I could drink and take drugs, which would make me not eat. So I would still be skinny. Uh, Cause skinny was it, right? Like 
being skinny. And when people would say to me, wow, Carla, you look really good. Did you lose some weight? Did you lose weight? You look really great. I would be like, wow, okay. So in my mind, I'm skinny. I look good. I'm getting attention. I got to, I got to be skinny. And I was skinny. I mean, I wasn't even a hundred pounds. Um, and I was trying to get below a hundred pounds. The, the scale was my best friend. I got on it three times a day. If I gained half an ounce, I would go running around the block for an hour. Like it was, it was not good. And this went on until I was in my forties, you know, trying to, to deal with that. And I finally, um, went through a really rough period in Vancouver, um, I lost a, a, a dog in a really tragic way, and it just changed my life. I went to our family home in um, the mountains in Utah. My stepfather was a big skier, so we had a house in the mountains. I moved there by myself for three months. I stopped drinking. I stopped drugs. I stopped uh, beating myself up, and I learned to eat and get healthy. And it took me three months, and I did it on my own. Hmm. But then that, that completely changed my life. And that's when I decided I was going to become a personal trainer. I was going to teach aerobic classes. I opened up a gym, a women's only gym in Calgary, because I wanted other women to know that you don't need to be skinny to be beautiful. You need to accept who you are um, as long as you don't have a, a weight issue. And when I say that, it's when there's, there's issues where you're carrying too much weight and then maybe your heart's not healthy. You know, when that's when I think it's a concern, but if you're happy and you love yourself and you rock it every day and you go out there and you feel amazing, then that's all that matters. So that's sort of how it, my journey started. And when I see um, young girls these days that are looking at um, let's say the Kardashians, for instance, right. Who, who have had so much work done, who don't look like that in real life. I mean, it's, it's, it's make-believe, but that's what they're, they think is reality. You know, suicides are up, depression is up, um, eating disorders are up, especially in the Asian community. It's going up because of our Western world. And it's just, it's just a mess. And if I can help somebody not suffer like I did, then it's all worthwhile for me. The, the piece about body image is, you know, on social media, it's a really, it's an interesting topic because our society, well, I think we've come a long way in some regards in terms of uh, acceptance of, uh, of a woman's body, for lack of a better you know, term, uh, that there is no one's, you know, you're seeing a movement where it's not one size fits all anymore, that there's a celebration of, of women just being who they are. Mm-hmm. And there's the other side of it where you go on Instagram and if you look a certain way and you post a certain way, you're going to get thousands of followers More likes. and yeah. you're going to be an influencer and you're going to get right. endorsements. And, and then it goes back to your earlier point of seeing what, you know, seeing something on Instagram, seeing how successful they appear to be and thinking that you don't add up. Yeah. It's awful, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I, I have two, two daughters and I think about, you know, like they're, Ooh, how old are your daughters? They're 12 and nine. And okay. uh, so they're just getting at that age. Like they're not on social media, but when, you know, like it's, I'm not sure it's something that, that, you know, 
Maybe they did. I was just thinking of a body image and in, in our parents, maybe that wasn't in their thought process when they were raising kids. Like I'm talking about my parents' generation, but like, it's something I think about when I see how Facebook and Twitter make me feel sometimes. Right. Um, just like that. You don't have this perfect life or like they look so they're going here, they're going there, you know, like they're oh. all, I know, right, Daryl? Like you and I at our age, we're, we're older, we should be smarter, and we should realize that it's not true. But I have to tell myself all the time, okay, that's not true. I mean, she's not sitting on a beach in Jamaica. She doesn't look like that in a bikini. He's not that. He wasn't proposing like that. Their life isn't that. Their life cannot be that amazing right now. <laughs> like it cannot be that amazing. And I, I and so I, I stay away from social media. Um, even for my work, I, I post, but I post work related topics. I just did one today. You know, I've got this 30 day challenge about getting outside and walking. You know, I'm not posting um, what I see other people posting. And I just, I just have to shake my head at it. But I can imagine if you and I are thinking that what a, a nine year old or a 12 year old girl who looks at that and what goes on in her head. Yeah. And I think it's uh, like, it's a real contradiction too, because we're in a, an age where women and girls can do anything. Like then they can mm -hmm. actually, they can actually do anything. It's like the first time in history where <laughs> they can do anything, whether it's, you know, politics, finance, entertain, like you name it. Uh, Paul, you know. I know. Isn't yeah. that so true? You can be a woman and black and you can be in politics in the United States now. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but wow. in the same breath, like there's still this, you know, you see it all the time. There's still shaming going on. There's still this, you know, ideal image, and, you know, and it's kind of maybe getting a little off track, but it's, I don't think the two are far, too far removed from each other because like when you were talking about your journey and it's similar to what um, our patients experience, we have a eating disorders unit at Ontario Shores. Uh, it's for, for youth. I think it's age uh, 12 to 18 who are um, with serious uh, eating disorders. So it wouldn't be the first stop, right? You don't go, right. if you're experiencing eating disorders for the first time, you're not coming to Ontario Shores. It's when you've been through um, maybe several other agencies, doctors, or, you know, it, it's been, you need this level of help. So you come to Ontario Shores, but and in our department, obviously, we're talking about uh, the root cause of these eating disorders, whereas in emergency rooms, ordinarily, they're dealing with the symptoms. They're, they're trying to make sure you're hydrated, that uh, your strengths, they're not dealing with those, those issues that are, are causing those behaviors. So I guess, like for you, when you were going through your, your time in Utah and, and reevaluating your life, you were kind of dealing with some of that stuff that helped you, you know, make everything, you know, why I was not eating, why I was, um, overeating and then being sick and why I would do anything I could not to eat. And what, why, why, you know, what was the cause of all that? I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy. People think that was the other thing. If you're skinny, you're going to be happy. And I hear some of my clients say, it's, it's, this is so funny, but it's been going on since I can remember. Well, I'm just going to lose that five pounds and then I'm going to be really happy. And then I'm going to go buy that dress because I really like that dress. Or I'm going to buy that pair of pants in a size 
smaller than what I should take because I'm going to lose that five pounds, 10 pounds before. Um, I had to figure out what was going on in my head as to why I was thinking that way and that losing that weight wasn't going to make me happy. I, I needed to be happy within me, you know, losing weight was not the issue. And, um, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, it really started at home. Um, it, I didn't have the support at home saying, um, you know, you're perfect the way you are. Don't worry about it. I had your, your fat Carly, you need to lose some weight. That's what I got. And so when your when your mother says that, um, you think that you're fat. When you when you think about your experience, like you said, you were not an adult when you kind of had this, you know, had the breakthrough in terms of your health and and your and what you'd been through. Think back to like when you were 13. Um, like besides maybe you know the relationship with your parents, but what would you have needed at that time when you're really struggling? Like, was there you know would you were you would you have welcomed a teacher, you know, coming up to you and talking about it or uh, whether it was a, a coach or a community leader? Or, like, what If somebody at school would have seen me go progressively or actually very quickly downward in my spiral and stop me, if my health instructor, my history teacher, Mr. Todd, who I had such a huge crush on in grade eight, you know, if somebody would have just stepped up and put their nose in my business and said, you know, are you okay? You know, why don't you come and join um, the girls baseball league after school and, you know, and make me feel like I was, I was in, uh, I was loved or that I was accepted or I was part of a group. Cause it was, it was not like that. It was, you know, I went to, I went to school I came home, I would stay at home by myself and I would eat something and just be depressed. And the more you get depressed, the more you eat. And mm -hmm. there was just nobody that, that got in the way of anything for me. So yeah, what would have helped if just anybody would have just reached out. And when so that maybe that's why I want to reach out to, to girls, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm, and I really mean that, like, I don't want, I don't want anyone to suffer like I did in by yourself, a lot, like in your own head, thinking that you're, you're not worthy of anything. Well, and whether it's intentional or not, but you know, the work you're doing and, and talking you know, today and other places, so you, you've shared your story, you're, you know, kind of opening up the lines of communication because there is a stigma associated with mental health. Certainly, a stigma associated with eating disorders. Mm -hmm. When you first disclosed, you know, kind of what you'd been through, whether it was like with friends or family or strangers, you know, what was the reaction that you got from people about your struggles? And like, how did it, you know, how did that sit with you? Um, I was in denial. <laughs> you know, for a long time, I denied I, I had a, a pro I had a problem or that I had an eating disorder. Um, and people would say things, um, people would mention things as I got older. Um, you know, I remember as I got older, my parents would say some, would intentionally have me over 
for dinner to make me eat, but I would just like play with my food. There's, we're really good at moving food around the plate to make it look like we eat something, but we really didn't. Or, you know, like throwing it in your napkin and giving it to the dog under the table, right? Anything to make it look like you ate. We, we find ways to trick everybody, but um, yeah, I was in total denial for a long time. If anybody said anything and most people, honestly, I can't, I mean, I'm stumped. I can't think of I, at one point as, as I got older, my mom was, I was worried that I was getting really sick, but I didn't have friends that would actually hmm. say anything. Nobody said, nobody said anything. What about after you've, what about after you, when you start talking about what you've been through after your, you know, your time in the mountains and mm-hmm. getting your kind of changing course in your life? Um, what was it? What's the experience been like? Has it been a load off just talking about it? Like just therapeutic, just um, sharing it? It what you know, what was a therapeutic was teaching, um, aerobic classes and getting into the gym and, and being a personal trainer and learning and, and working with a coach and taking classes. And the more I learned, the more I understood and the more I felt better about myself and realized that there was nothing, there really wasn't anything wrong with me. I was just thinking in a, in a not a very healthy way. I had to change my, my mode of thinking into something that was more positive for me that worked for me um, and more accepting of who I was. Um, And the good thing is that people could, women loved hearing that I had problems too. You know, it wasn't just, it wasn't just them that they weren't alone. And uh, because I think a lot of women and men, because men suffer from eating disorders as well, though it's more prevalent in women, as you know, um, they want to know that they're not alone. That they're not going home by themselves, and they're the only ones that are suffering. You know, it's it's all over the place, and it's people in all different industries. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I would I would point to your industry and entertainment, you know, as being maybe hotspots for eating disorders, uh, just because of you know being in front of the camera so often and some of the scrutiny that comes with that, but. Oh, let me tell you, Daryl, if you gain two pounds, if you wear the wrong color, if something's not right, people are so quick to judge. Yeah. yeah. We actually had on from another network, Kelsey McEwen from. Okay. I know Kelsey. Yeah. yeah she was on the podcast uh, early on in the pandemic and, and she's, we were talking about body image as well. And just like the you know, some of the comments that she gets on her social media. Oh, she, I bet. And she can't let the, you know, she lets them go, but she wants to fight. Her inclination is to, is to fight back. And she does selectively. She'll, mm-hmm. she'll call people out for some of the comments they make about speculating about a pregnancy or. And I remember that on, um, I don't know what social media platform it was, but she was pregnant with her second child she was in Calgary at the same time I was, and then she came to Toronto anyway. Um, and people were complaining or making awful remarks that she was still working on air and she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's just horrific to me. Yeah. And men, you know, like there's no comparable, like men would never 
There, there's nothing comparable that men would have to go through on the air in terms of that type of screen. Oh, no, women get scrutinized if there's a wrinkle, if you're looking a little haggard, if, you know, you, you look the wrong way. I mean, we don't, we're all, we're human, right? I mean, we don't always look great and we don't have makeup artists anymore to make us look as, as good as we used to. We have to do it ourselves. So the coloring is wrong and sometimes the lights are bad and the, the angles are bad and the shadows and there's just so much, but people just, people never look for the good. They want, they feel better when they pick you apart and, and, um, bring you down to, I don't know, to their, I don't know. I don't know. They just, I, I just feel like people, it makes them feel better when they make you feel littler. Right. Yeah. It's, it's tough to understand because on, on social media, you see people's first and last names when they're doing this stuff. And sometimes you see their employer and you wonder like, what, you know, why are they, why are they <laughs> engaging in this? But yeah, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but uh just going a little bit back to, you know, it's eating disorders week is, is coming up in, in February. February. Uh, you know, you've been on this journey for quite some time. Uh, what kind of progress have you seen in terms of our willingness in society to, to talk about eating disorders and, you know, what do we need to do moving forward? What needs to be better? Um, well, there, there's a bunch of different things. So I think, and you touched on this earlier, Daryl, how we're more acceptive of all body types. I mean, I, Lizzo comes to mind, right? She's, she's big. She's proud of it. She flaunts it. You know, she wears little outfits. She dances all over. That would never have happened 20 years ago. You know, it wouldn't have. So we've come a long way. And I love how she is proud of who she is. She's like, this is who I am. Love me or leave. Like you don't, you don't like it. Don't look at me. Right. So I think that's great how we've, we've come full circle that way. We're more accepting, um, eating disorders. I don't know if, um, I don't really know how far we've come to helping young girls actually deal with eating disorders and accepting that, they're okay the way they are and they don't need to get duck lips when they're 16 or their boobs done and Botox. I mean, some of these girls are not even 20 and they're getting this stuff done. So I don't think that's right. And I think we've gone, we've stepped backwards when it comes to that. Um, so that's a really tough one. I, you know, I, I only know what I read and what I see and the people that I know and I surround myself are accepting and they want to help others and they want people to realize that they're perfect the way they are. As long as you're healthy and you're happy and you exercise and, you, and you're cognizant of what you're eating um, and you take care of yourself and you treat people well, then life is good. Um, but I still think we have a long way to go to help um, women, young women, to accepting who they are as they are. They don't need to do anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, conversation. Does that make sense? And for a dad with two young girls, you, you must know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I, see. Yeah. I actually was like, when you were talking about the lack of like stylists and makeup, and that's one of the things I've, one of the positives I, I see about this pandemic is, you know, we have the news on every morning and you see people that, you know, that have, you know, 
five o'clock shadow and yeah. that haven't had a haircut like John Tory. <laughs> I know. John Tory doesn't have a haircut in who knows how long. Like you're, you're seeing people in a less manufactured way. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think just that image is helpful for, you know, I, like that's the image as a dad I would like my girls to see is like, yeah, like, things aren't perfect even when you're on TV, right? Like mm-hmm. TV, like this, like this uh, temple or, you know, it's, it's, you know, we bought, especially our generation. I mean, if you're, you know, you're on TV, it's, it's a big deal. It's something to aspire to. It's, I mean, and if you see people, perfect all the time. I mean, it's hard to, you know, it's harder, I guess, to um, rationalize that, right? When you look at your own faults and shortcomings. And so I I think that it's been, it's been refreshing to see uh, people with less than ideal or less than, you know, the the standard was back. Oh, a hundred percent. And you know, what's a perfect example of that is now she's from a different network, but you know who I'm talking about. Uh, I, Lisa Leflam. Hmm. Yeah. Who, you know, as women and being on TV, everything has got to be perfect. So you, there's no gray hair and your hair is, is a certain length and styled a certain way. But she stepped out and she stopped dyeing her hair and have never seen that before. You don't see too no. many women on TV that let their hair go gray. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Right. No, I mean, yeah. just no, that's just like, no, you don't do that. You look old, yeah. right? That's what we think. But she looks terrific. Yeah, and I have always admired her. And I I just, kudos to her. I mean, she just yeah. is rocking it. I love it. So hopefully we can have a bit of that, you know, balance moving forward. You know. I hope so. I hope so. But then, you know, I still see a lot of these Instagram posts from these influence. And I still, what the heck is an influencer? <laughs> I still don't know what that is. but these young girls um I still see these photos of them like I sometimes I just scroll I just look at and go what the what the you know like I don't know I I don't know I I I hope that we go the way that that you and I would wish and I hope your daughters see what is real and what um what to aspire to, which is being who you are and accepting who you are and, and not believing this stuff that you see on, in, on Instagram or other social media platforms, because it's, it's not real. I mean, there's even apps and I know, I, I'm sure you know this, my, some of my girlfriends on Facebook, they use it. So I don't even know what the app is, but you can do something with your face and it makes it look so much better. Have you seen those apps? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> So, and I've seen like the before and after. So I see what this person really looks like. And then with this amazing app, my girlfriend, Sue, when, when we all used to get together, she'd have, we'd have like us, you know, four girls from grade school and she'd take a photo and I know what we all look like. Right. I mean, it's okay. We're all, we're in our fifties. This is the way we look. But then Sue sent us the photo. I was like, wow, what did you do, Sue? We all look so great. <laughs> and it's like, oh, this is, it's this app that you download. So I still, you know, I'm still on the fence as to whether, which way we're going to go as a society. Are we going to come more real or are we going to still go that fake and phony way? Yeah, I know. Well, I think it's a progression because you've seen, even before the pandemic, you did see people of prominence, you know, uh, posting pictures 
on social media of them in less than ideal moments. And uh, I mean, I've seen Kelsey do it uh, as well when she's having uh, a really difficult time parenting at home and, and, you know, like, so there is a movement to kind of change the conversation. So let's hope that continues. Uh, If people want to connect with you in a, in a respectful way on social media or uh, (laughs) me not tear me apart or write some (laughs) negative comment about, my clothing choice for the day or something. <laughs> how can people how can people find you? Where do you want? To? Well, I um I my what's my what's my Instagram? It's at Sibasaki. Mm-hmm. Um and my website, which is where I take girls into mentor. If anybody's got any young girls that they want some help with, you know, like I said, I just work with them one-on-one. I talk to them once a week. I don't charge anything. I do this because I want to help them. Um, they can go to my website, which is just www.carlabasaki.com. Send me a message, send me an email. And um, like I said, if I can help, if I know I help one person, then I've, I've done a good thing. Well, it's, great to talk to you about all the things that you're doing and your your journey to this point i really appreciate it uh and hopefully we get you to ontario shores one day and uh, and oh i would love to because you know when i lived in brandon there is um i don't know what the house is in brandon but there is an eating disorder house um it's an old old mansion that they have in brandon manitoba where they bring girls in from all over the world and they go and live there so i'm familiar with um, you know, places like that. And you guys all do so much great work. Well, thank you. And uh, take care in all this. And hopefully we'll connect down the road. Yes. Thank you for having me. And stay safe and healthy over the next little while during our second lockdown. <laughs> you as well. <laughs> Thanks. Together begins and ends.